podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chessie Hour. I'm your host, Shems. For this episode, I'm joined by Timson. How you doing? I'm very good. Always good to be on with you, Shems. Always, 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 man. I like this duo a lot. Um, just usual, plug the socials, you know, follow Chessie Hour on Twitter and Touchline Fracker. Um, so you can hear all the club pods every week and the main pod every Sunday. But um, yeah, without further ado, let's get down to business. So we are two games into the season. Uh, we'll be three games in by the end of tomorrow. But um, yeah, we've just come off the back of a 3-1 loss to West Ham at the London Stadium. A stadium that we actually have a very poor record at. I think I can only recall two victories there in that in that in all of the times we played there. Um, so it was always going to be a tough game. And I, and I knew the way David Moyes sets out his team is very anti-football. And that's kind of how the game played out. But how were you feeling? Did you think we were going to go there and get a result? Because I personally, I I wasn't sure, to be honest. But yeah, I, I was hoping maybe the new manager bounce would get us through, but it didn't. But what were you thinking? Yeah, Pochettino's Chelsea and the spirit of pre-season carried over from the Liverpool game after a good performance to this current game against West Ham. So I was actually quite optimistic. Okay, okay. Yeah, I I hear you because obviously the Liverpool performance was really good for the most part. Actually, yeah, I think I think we deserve to beat Liverpool. Um we were good for all for pretty much all of the game. And so I guess going off that logic, yeah, I guess it would make sense to be confident, but I just thought, I don't know, I was just a bit weary of the way Moy sets out his team and they're so hard to to break down and they're just so anti-football. So I thought it would be a good test of how, you know, how we actually approach these games against those teams. And um, I actually thought we did well. We did we did well for the first half. Um, but without without going into too much of the game just yet, um, how, how did, did anything surprise you about the lineup? Um, I think we saw Gallagher in the deeper position again. And you know what? I wasn't mad at it simply because West Ham don't press. So if West Ham, don't pre- if a team doesn't press, then I'm okay with Gallagher being in the team. <laughs> but um, other than that, I think it was pretty much the same lineup with just Gusto playing at right back. Was there anything else you wanted to see? Did you want to see Mudrik maybe come in instead of Carney or what, what were your thoughts? No, I think everybody gave a good account of themselves. Um, so to see the same lineup wasn't a massive shock, give or take uh, the one alteration to obviously Reese James. Conor Gallagher gave a good account of himself and to drop Caicedo, who hadn't had a preseason into it, was a big ask, especially since he's been signed for the money that he signed. So there's obviously going to be expectations from the minute he steps on the football pitch. So uh, I wasn't mad about Pochettino protecting him from a sense, um, but we can talk about if we protected him enough further along in the pod. So overall, I was okay with the lineup. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because we'll definitely touch on that. But um, yeah, personally, I wanted to see Mudrik start. I just felt um, that it would make it would have made sense for him to come in um, to replace. Uh, I thought we were going to go back to a to a back four essentially, which I know I know it's kind of like a hybrid formation, and we do switch to a back four in game. But I thought we would have. I thought the starting with a five was just a Liverpool plan, and that with West Ham we'll kind of start with a four and stay with a four throughout. And then I thought um, maybe we'd move Carney into a ten position and then play Mudrik wide. Um, that's kind of what I wanted to see. But you know what? I understood it. You know, good performance. No need. To, no real need to change. So. Yeah, that, that, I guess that was fine. And then um, I think just moving into the first half, I, I was actually quite impressed with how we played. Um, I think that's the best game, that's the best half of football I've seen us play. No word of a lie since like autumn 2021. Um, I thought I thought we were doing really well in terms of breaking um, West Ham down and getting into real threatening positions. Um, how did you see it play out in that first half? Was you similarly impressed or was it just kind of normal stuff for you? Yeah, let's take away the initial disappointment of the goal because that is initially what West Ham do. They take advantage of set pieces and they're dangerous and they have a very big squad. Marking could have been better. Carney could have been on the post. Maybe if he's actually on the post, he it's a simple clearance, but we 
removing ourselves from the initial disappointment of the first goal, Chelsea took over, Enzo showcasing why we prioritised him over Caicedo in January, because he is just that guy. I feel like he's got all the foundations to be world-class for a, a lengthy period of time. His balls just over the top of a hut of a deep defense was were just superb. And I think to respond the way we did was excellent. And I think we would have continued that way if not for the penalty miss, which kind of revitalized West Ham. But ultimately, I was really impressed with the performance in the first half. Just a shame that we couldn't um, complete the turnaround and go in at least a goal um, up front ahead before half time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think the penalty miss was so so key in this game because, like you said, I think if we score the penalty, I think we go in two one, and then second half we control the game with no real kind of. Um, we won't be forced to to do anything else. The agenda, the the onus would, would have very much been on West Ham to come at us, and we probably would have picked them off with gaps um, on the counter attack probably. Um, and just controlled the game better in that, in that second half. I'm probably got the three points, but um, as you said, we missed the penalty and the game kind of changes um, because we go in 1-1 one, one and we still have to come out in the second half and probe a little bit. But I'm happy you, you brought Enzo into the conversation because, like you said, I, again, very, very, very impressed with him. Um, I think his long balls over the top, they remind me of what Fabregas used to do when he was here. Sometimes I just, it's just good to just be direct, honestly, Sometimes all the possession stuff, it just gets so tedious. And it's just very nice to have a midfielder who sees the runs over the top and just plays the ball. Um, I think like Pogba used to do it, but he didn't really get that much credit for it. Fabregas done it the best. Um, yeah, it's just it's just really refreshing. But I want to talk about him because I think me and me and Meads, I think it was a maybe a couple just before the season started, we did a podcast and we said that Enzo, you know, he seems to have a a little bit of main character syndrome. <laughs> it's certainly how it feels. And I was watching him, like, you know, when, when we got the penalty, no word of a lie, he grabbed the ball so fast. Like, he, whilst everyone was debating, he literally grabbed the ball so quickly and put it on the spot. And I was like, hmm. And then, like, when I'm watching him in the game and, like, he's a great player and he's doing some of these fancy passes and I'm like, you... It's like, it's almost as if you know you're sick and you want to always show that you're sick every single time. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's like, he's someone that it looks like he knows he's the best player on the pitch. But yeah, I kind of feel like, I don't know, it's a little bit of main character syndrome. I don't know if you picked up on that. What do you think? Because that penalty miss was, was sort of what confirmed it for me. It's that kind of ego that you love in a player because it's not toxic, but there's a, a level of ego that says, I've got this. Obviously, you can see it turn toxic over time, but in this moment in time, that level of ego, I've got a lot of admiration for. The confidence to say, I am the conductor, I run the midfield, and he does pull the strings in our midfield and orchestrates our attacks, as he did with many, many balls over the top, perfectly timed, and just the way he picked up the ball and confidence. I believe he missed in the World Cup final, but the confidence he has, never mind, I've got it now. And I wouldn't be shocked if he took the next penalty for Chelsea. So all in all, I don't yeah. see an issue with I don't see an issue with um, the ego right now. My only uh, regret at this moment in time is that he doesn't speak English as of yet, because I feel like he already exudes an aura and confidence and a demeanor that showcases his importance to the team. If he had the communication to go along with it, you would be looking at this guy as a potential um, for captain. Yeah. yeah. Sure, sure. In the absence of rejects. Yeah. And I mean, he's only 22. So in a couple of years, I can definitely see him see him being suitable for that for that role. But I hear you. I think ego, ego and confidence is good in one way. But it can also, sometimes it can also be detrimental to the team because sometimes you might find that you're playing a little bit for yourself rather than the team. But what I will say is, I'm not saying that's what Enzo is doing right now. I'm just saying that that's how it can go sometimes. Um, because I, what, from what I see right now, he's definitely, you know, for the team. He's not selfish, you know. 
um, always looking to provide for others. But yeah, it was just something that I noticed when he picked up the ball, which I thought, hmm, this guy. But I, I, do, I hope he doesn't take another penalty. I really want the penalties to be. I'm sick and tired of seeing midfielders take penalties. In all honesty, um, Lamp. I think I saw I saw a tweet saying that Lampard earned that right to take penalties, and I agree. The likes of Lampard, Gerrard, they earned the right to take penalties because they they were goal scorers essentially, and their ball striker was so elite. Their finishing was so elite that. Yeah, it made sense, but I, I I think the strikers should really eat. I know Dan and Meads have in the past have spoken about MPG and they like that. I don't care to be honest. Like the best strikers, all the great strikers depend. So I'm all good with my strikers getting some pens, you know, to get them up and running. So I want Jackson on penalties from now on. What about you? Are you of that same kind of perspective? Do you want your striker to take the pen, or are you just you not not fast? Yeah, I'm not fast. I'm one of those people. I just want the person with the best chance of scoring and the best penalty taker and the best player with the best penalty te- technique to score, uh, to take the penalty. And in recent memory, Chelsea have had a lot of defenders that are actually good with pens that ha- and really came clutch in penalty shootouts. As yeah. Quater comes to mind, Reese James comes to mind, David Luiz more often than not oh. the target. Ashley Cole scored as well in the Champions League final. So because yeah, yeah. of that as well, that slow that that also influences me. But ultimately I'm not fussed about who takes it. If it was the goalkeeper uh and Robert 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 Sanchez turns into a prime um Rogerio Senni and bags like 90% of the penalties that he takes, then I've got no issues with him getting on the score sheet. I just, whoever scores, I want to feel like it's a guaranteed goal the minute the referee points to the spot. And I haven't felt like that since probably Jorginho got found out in his run-up, probably when he first arrived. Yeah, I think I think Eden was our last very good penalty taker. Even, even though when he started, I was always on edge. But I think he only missed one penalty in his whole Chelsea... No, two penalties in his whole Chelsea career. One of them in the league and one of them was in a shootout in the Carabao Cup. But, yeah, Eden was very solid. Um, so I think him and Lampard had similar records um, in terms of how many they missed. But obviously Lampard took him over a longer period of time. But, yeah, I hear you. That's fair. That's fair. Um, so I think moving back into the game, um, I want to talk about a few individuals before I get into the second half. So, obviously, we said the first half was really good and stuff like that. So, um, let's talk about Sterling because a lot of Chelsea fans, myself included, were very, very concerned about Sterling going into the season because what he's shown over the past year, including pre-season. So, I think everybody gives last season a write-off because, you know, it was a messy season, so many managers and just no real structure to what we were doing. So, everybody kind of gets a pass for last season. But I think... Pre-season, you kind of want to see, you know, that return to sharpness, that return, that hunger, that desire. And I don't think we really saw that from Sterling in the pre-season. I think his performances were, were quite poor for most of them. But on when... Oh, sorry. I was going to say on Wednesday. But against West Ham and against Liverpool, to be fair, it seems like he's really come to the party and he's really, really, really shown the player that he was at City, you know. Um, so what impressed you most about Sterling's performance against West Ham because it was quite truly comp-worthy. You know, a lot of performances nowadays are just not comp-worthy, but they get comps anyway. But this one definitely deserved a comp. It was the explosiveness coupled with ball control and efficiency. So he was explosive in a way that we probably haven't seen since he joined Chelsea. Bursting past players... I'm not even going to try and like leave you for dead. I'm just going straight past. See you later. Coupled with, I'm going to burst into space with the ball, but I'm also going to be efficient when I have it. I'm going to look for deadly cutbacks. I'm going to play one-twos. I'm going to go at players directly. I'm not going to give opposition defenders the chance to regroup and get around the person that I'm facing up one-on-one. I'm just going to be deadly. I'm going to be efficient with my runs off the ball and make it very easy for Enzo to find me, I'm going to be deadly. So it was all of those elements that we haven't seen coupled together, um, just all on display against West Ham. 
that had people on social media that aren't even Chelsea fans talking about where's this Raheem Sterling been? And with regards to Raheem Sterling, obviously we haven't seen this level of output since he's joined Chelsea, but you can see in pre-season, even before pre-season, before the Gacon, before the Pochettino fitness drills, he was putting in that work individually with his personal trainers. I saw him doing hill sprints. I saw him doing individual drills privately. So the application was there on his part and it could just be, this is the game where it all came together and it was a realisation. So yeah. I'm really happy for him and I'm glad it's come together now because I personally thought he was potentially on the chopping block because after, Luka after the Lukaku situation is resolved, he's the last big earner on guaranteed money. Yeah. And yeah. they have yeah. Mudrick in the wings as well. So um, talk to me about your thoughts on Sterling, James. Yeah, yeah. Excellent performance. I think what, I'm, what I really like about Sterling is his balance. His balance is so underrated. It reminds me a bit of Eden because he can get the ball and run with the ball whilst holding off man, which is impressive in terms of like ball carrying. And is also, I think the only thing that's letting him down right now is his final pass. And that's never really been a strength for Sterling at all. So I, it doesn't surprise me. And I don't expect him to necessarily get it spot on all the time because even from City days, that wasn't his strength. But what he is good at, driving, picking up the ball, running with it, using his pace in behind, um, beating players. That's what he was doing against West Ham. I think against Liverpool, he was playing more... His game was more link-up with Rhys James, which was really good. But I think against West Ham, it was like, OK, individualism. I'm, I'm the guy. I'm going to beat guys. I'm going to carry the ball. And it was really, really good to watch. I think... I think if he could just keep this up, it would be a massive... Massive bonus for Chelsea because I think Jackson needs support, and he showed that you know he could link with Jackson, and he's got the pace to run in behind to support him. You know what I'm saying? So I think if he can just keep that up, yeah, it will be a massive, massive plus for us. And and like you said, rival even rival fans were rating it because Sterling obviously he's rated universally, so everyone's been asking the same question like, what's happened to him? What's happened to him? But and as soon as he did that performance, everyone's like, okay. He's here. So, yeah, I just think it's going to be interesting, though, because, segueing a little bit, um, obviously, Mudrik is out tomorrow. He's out for a couple of days. So, we might see Sterling move over to the left-hand side and then maybe potentially a non Madueke come in on the right-hand side. So, I don't know. I think Sterling can play both sides, but he started on the right this season and it's been going well. Do you think him moving over to the left might stop that momentum or do you think he's just as good on the left as well or what do you think i'd keep him where he is he was dangerous he was creative and he was fluid on that right hand side i would say i'm going to put you in the same environment the same tactical position just go again on the left hand side you then have the opportunity to bring in a mudrick if you'd like you have the opportunity. You have the opportunity to bring in Noni and say, Noni, um, can you stretch them because they're going to sit deep away from home? Can you do what Pep's old wingers used to do, where he used to play a conventional two winger system, but he would have them to the touchline to stretch the back four, and there's gaps in between the centre back and the full backs in the half spaces that um, our midfield runners could have. And if we're going to play a Gallagher or even a Caicedo that can get round the sides of players, uh, get round the sides, that could be a way to break teams down. And it worked really well for Pep back in the day with his Sane and um, Sterling combination. So yeah, I'd keep, I'd keep Sterling where he is and just say, show me, show me some more of that. Interesting, interesting. So tomorrow you'd probably play by the way on the left then. I would consider it, but I would also consider Maybe using, Yeah, so I'd probably I'd probably go with Mudrick just for the fact that he's so long he's confident. Injured. Oh yeah, he's out injured, yeah. So um 
yeah, I'd potentially look at I'd potentially look at um Madueke and Sterling. Um but we're talking short notice, so potentially um you go with Sterling, um let's be more offensive, go on the left wing and um Madueke. If Mudrik was available, I'd probably keep Sterling where he is. Yeah, but um, with Madueke with Mac with Madueke being the only other option to come in and start um out wide, you're probably gonna look at that. But I wouldn't be shocked if he went Sterling right wing and um and stuck Martin left wing as well. Yeah, I was gonna say that that wouldn't surprise me either. Um I think it would be a good opportunity to put him in seeing as he had a good preseason. But I I would like to see Madueke on the right. But it's difficult because I'm actually in agreement with you. I don't want to move someone from where it's been working. I think with Sterling on the on the left, you get potentially more goals. Um, so yeah, that's that's that. But I think what we're seeing on the right is him, you know, combining a lot with the team and and putting in a real shift. So we'll see. It'll be it'll definitely be interesting to see the lineup tomorrow. This time tomorrow evening. But moving on to other individuals, who who else kind of impressed you in that first half? So we've spoken about Enzo and Sterling. Is there any other any others that stood out to you that first half? Carney, he, there's no way we can talk about the West Ham game without talking about the skill, the finish, um, and the kind of introduction to he get his introduction to senior football. The shimmy, the confidence, I don't think he does that last season because he keeps it simple under Graham Potter and he's got limited minutes. So he wants to not do the wrong thing instead of trying to do the right thing <clears throat> in that instance. So, yeah, Carney had a, has a, had a really positive game, but it's a shame that it was cut short by injury. And now it's the 10 becomes... Um, potentially a problem position with Carney and Nkunku out, um, and you're definitely gutted for Carney because this is this was his opportunity to make the position his own in the absence of Christopher and Kunku. So, yeah, what do you think about Carney? I rate him highly. I think he's a very good player, very good talent, he's got a lot of potential. I think Liverpool, he kept it simple. I think it, against West Ham, I don't think he was. I don't think he was as in the game against West Ham personally until he scored. But that's not to say he was playing bad or anything like that. But I think I just I don't I don't think he was as in the game. But having said that, he's got moments of quality. And the goal was a brilliant goal. It was a really, really good goal. And then he came to life. I think and short, shortly just before the goal, he actually came to life as well. Um, but yeah, I am gutted for him because I wanted to see him just get a run. But it's not too bad. It's only it's six weeks. It could be a lot worse. And obviously, with the international break coming up, that's going to kill two of those weeks. So hopefully, we can see him back sooner rather than later. But I think with the squad we have, there's, there's, there's a lot of options. So I just want to see us use those options effectively. So, yeah, that's that's probably what I'd say. I think Poch is definitely going to have to adapt to a 2-8 a system rather than a number 10. Um, but the funniest thing is, like, Carney's position has been interesting because... You had Chilwell kind of playing left wing basically, and then Carney. I wouldn't even say number ten because he's he's been more in the left in the left half space. So yeah, I don't know. It's been a bit. It's been a bit weird, but um, hopefully he's back soon. Um, I also thought Jackson was really good again. I think he is showing that he's a he's a very good footballer. With his he's, he's he's dribbling, ball carrying pace like he and his, his close control is really good as well but again um I think did he miss a big shot yes he missed a header didn't he in the first half I think Chilwell crossed it in and he missed a header from point blank but other than that I can't really remember too many other chances he had in the game if I'm correct yeah he didn't really have standout chances for me yeah. um which is also interesting because um, obviously there's a topic on the agenda that we'll probably talk about um, regarding that specific position. But in regards to Jackson against West Ham, I don't think he, he he did anything particularly bad. And since he's been in the side, he's been involved in majority a lot of the good things that we've been able to speak about regarding our attack and our performances. 
Yeah. Sorry, could you repeat that? Sorry, sorry. I kind of faded for a little bit. No, 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 I was just saying. Yeah, so just talking about Nicholas Jackson, um, I said that um, based on his performances, he's been more, he's been mostly involved with a lot of the good that Mm. we've been able to speak about regarding Pochettino's Chelsea and his position, which makes it all the more concerning um, regarding like recent events and and rumours that have come out regarding um, that striking position. So, mm. yeah, with Nicholas Jackson, he's been low expectation and um, high performance for me so far. And yeah. I'd yeah. like to, I'd just like to see a bit more of it. And I hope he gets some goals against Luton tomorrow. Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, hopefully, he breaks that duck, which is why I wanted to see him take the penalty. But we move. But yeah, yeah, I think he's definitely taking up the right position. He's doing all the right things, and you can only. You only hope that by doing all the right things, eventually the goals will come. And look, we're only two games in, so it's not even like an eventually situation. It's just a thing of, you know, that patience. It's not like we're like seven, eight games into the season and no goals. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's still two games. They're still, you know, still very early. And he's doing the right things. And I think one thing about Jackson is that he makes such a big difference in how we play because he's able to stretch teams. And it's such a contrast to what we had last season with Havertz because Havertz, whilst he had good movement, doesn't have the same pace that Jackson has. And I wouldn't say he didn't really keep a backline busy. Only certain big games where he was a handful, yeah. But for the majority of the time, in my opinion, as a number nine, I weren't feeling it at all. And he, because he didn't keep, he didn't keep defenses busy the same way Jackson is doing, the same way other forwards are doing. Um, so yeah, Jackson makes a huge difference because he's able to stretch line, stretch the line, which creates space. And yeah, it doesn't feel like defenders are comfortable when he's around, and he he puts in a lot of work, you know, um, winning tackles in and around the area and stuff like that. So yeah, just hope the goals will come. I'm trying to think. So he had the clear cut opportunity against Liverpool, and then he had the header against West Ham. I think is is that is it only those two chances? I think it is. Obviously the cutback as well. People are talking about against West Ham, but I think the cutback was a little bit out of his way. I think that sh- I think Carney should have connected that more than more than Jackson. But I think I think people need to understand that strikers are going to miss are going to miss chances. It's about them. They need to get as many as as they can, if that makes sense. The team needs to create more and more for them so that they can eventually take a chance. So, yeah, I think people need to just relax off of him because he's doing the right things. So hopefully the goals come against Luton. But enough of enough of that. Um, I think I think those were the stand-up players in the first half, to be fair. Um, let's talk about the second half. So what, what do you think went wrong in the second half? Because I think the second half was was bad, to be honest. And I predicted it. So, yeah, what, what did you think about the second half? Ish. It's hard because <clears throat> I think Sterling still was had moments. He caused problems, uh, but not as many. Maybe that's partly him kind of dying down, West Ham being more wary of him. Enzo got even further forwards. And I think that killed some of his influence because a lot of what Enzo was praised for was him in the centre circle, in the heart of the midfield, kind of dictating the play from the central areas, as opposed to he was trying to get in the box a lot more. He was almost like um, an advanced midfielder, attacking midfielder. And I'm not sure that's where this Chelsea need him at this point in time. We do like, I do like his his surging runs um, into the box, but he was playing almost like receiving the ball back to goal, like a yeah. traditional number 10 might do or on the half turn. So yeah, that was, I think when your main conductor and playmaker is um, further forward and not having that same impact, it kind of reverberated around the squad. Also conceding the goal the way we did and potentially even the subs available. Mm. You're looking for you're you're chasing a game, and you bring on Mudrick. You bring on Mudrick, which is fair enough. You bring on Mason Burstow, 
who isn't terrifying any West Ham defenders with respect. He's a young man, but at this point in time, his appearance onto a football pitch is probably going to be greeted with a sigh of relief at this moment in time. Mm. Um, and then also chasing a game, also chasing a goal, you bring on the defensive midfielder, albeit a um, hundred million pound defensive midfielder. But yeah, if I yeah. just said chasing a game and you bring on a, a, a more defensive-minded midfielder who does his best work off the ball. I'm confused, especially when you'd, you'd found you'd found time to, or you'd found the opportunity to kind of get Enzo further forward. So it wasn't a case of unlocking Enzo to get him further forward. You'd already done that. Yeah, yeah. Poch substitutions are concerning me, I can't lie. Because there's the same thing in Liverpool game. Liverpool game, substitutions killed our momentum. And then, again, against West Ham, when I saw Kai Soto stripping down to get ready, I was very confused. I was like, what's he coming on to do? You're just chucking him on for the sake of chucking him on at this point. You would have been far better off just saving him to make his debut against Luton. And I wasn't shocked when I saw what happened, you know, because the way he ensued and he came on, had a shocker, it was just like, that, that further proved my point. Like, why did you why did you bring him on? I, I, I just probably didn't understand that. So, yeah, I think his, his substitutions are kind of concerning me. They're either a bit too late or they're just not the right ones. I think, um, I think I agree with what you said about Enzo. I, I, I don't, I think he's, he's, he's best suited as someone that plays with the game in front of him. So, it'll be interesting to see how we adapt without Kani again, like you said, without Kani and Nkunku. I think we should just play Enzo as an eight and that's where he'll do his best work. But yeah, the, the substitutions, the in-game management needs a bit of work because even the Liverpool game, I was, I wasn't too happy when he when he made some of those subs. So, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Um, I've one more thing as well, Mudrik. Where 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 are you at with Mudrik? I haven't really heard your thoughts about him. Um, but obviously he came on and it didn't go well. He hasn't had a run of games at Chelsea, to be honest with you. But you know. A lot of people are concerned, which is fair enough. But what, what, what do you think? Ah, where to begin? I wasn't a big fan of the signing in the first place, but I accepted it. My opinion on the signing was also influenced by the fact that one of my favourite players and currently in the squad or not in the squad but contracted is Callum Hudson-Odoi. That's a direct that's direct competition. Um, respectfully, I thought he was potentially a pace merchant that would struggle like Timo Werner did when he realised teams weren't defending on the halfway line. And he's very, very raw, almost to the extent of a young Adama Traore signing for Aston Villa. But he still has elements that are more refined when he's confident. So yeah, really still raw. But if you put him in an element where he's feeling very confident, he can stop. He can dribble. He mm. can stop start things that I didn't see from um and a a, tri- a young triary um to be specific. So there's raw elements, and he's becoming more refined, and he's got a, a mentality to I'm going to improve. Uh, that was evident where he made himself available for the under-21 European Championship for Ukraine just to give himself the best opportunity to start his pre-season well. In pre-season, I saw him score goals and, uh, um, and link well and look like a, like a player. Yeah, so at this point in time, I just need him and I think the rest of the team need him to realize whether it be um a, sh- a shin roller whether it be a penalty whether it be a fluke just need him to feel like he is effective in the premier league specifically we've seen him do it in pre-season um against lesser teams i think he needs to feel like he can do it in the premier league even if it's starting with a team that's um prime candidate for relegation in luton town yeah, like I actually don't think he's a pace merchant. I know he's really fast, but I've like watched him more than a few times now, and I can see that he's actually got good close control, unlike a Timo Werner. And 
when he runs with the ball, it it actually is controlled. And he's good in tight spaces as well. He's got he can beat him at one v one. Um, the ball doesn't get away from him too much. So from that perspective, I wasn't that concerned. Um, like so, I know everyone like talks about that coming against Liverpool, and there's some other games as well where he's come on for like t- ten, fifteen minutes, and I've seen it. But yeah, I think for me, his confidence is so in the mud, and I don't think it helps that you know he's only getting. 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, one start here, no start. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no rhythm. And that's the only way he's going to come out of this rut is for him to actually just get rhythm and play. And that's not been happening. And I've, and that's why it's disappointing to hear that he's injured tomorrow because obviously perfect opportunity to play and start. But I think also tactically as well, I think maybe Poch wanted to work with him a little bit in terms of off the ball both on the offensive and defensive side of the game. But yeah, it just it's just not looking good at the moment. And I've seen the story before where Chelsea player gets into a bad rut, they can't turn it around, and they just end up being a flop. But I think if anyone can turn it around, Pochettino can, but it's, it's looking spooky right now, honestly and truthfully. So I, I really don't know where we go from here. Yeah, it's slowly sucking the optimism out of the room at this point in time and I think there'll be nothing left if we don't get any if we don't have a convincing win against Luton if we're just about muddling the line with uh, a win against Luton Town let alone anything other than a win then we've got serious concerns going into the international break so yeah, we'll see yeah, what yeah. we'll see what tomorrow brings. Yeah, sure, sure. I think we have one more game before the international break. But yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about the rumors. So there's some quotes, you know, in the group chat and stuff like that about Poch potentially wanting a new t- attacker. I thought he wanted personally. I thought he wanted. Uh, he's hinted at a number ten rather than a striker, but he said that he potentially wants a new attacker anyway. Um, and I've, he's also quoted, um, I think it's come out just like not too long ago, that we're going to adapt without a number 10. So he's saying that oh, we can play Enzo, we can play Gallagher at number 10. So that's what kind of confirms what I initially thought, that he wants a number 10 rather than a striker. But well, yeah, what do you think of these rumours that he's looking for another attacker? What do you think it could be? Well... Based on what he's saying, he's saying that he wants... Let's look at it like we're doing a quick search on Football Manager. He wants an, uh, a quality attacker. So let's put that of above, like, um, you need certain attributes for finishing, heading, movement. You need someone that is feasible so um, and Premier League proven, or they have experience in the Premier League. And they need to be realistic. And you narrow it down. And whether you like it or not, it seems like where they're paving the way for um, a Romelu Lukaku redemption story. Because, mm. yes, Nicholas Jackson hasn't scored the goals. Is he that? Is he that centre forward that strikes fear into... A team right now, like a Haaland, like a Harry Kane? No, not yet. I would consider him to be the tip of a workmanlike spear in regards to a hardworking team that know that knows their roles and he does his role of leading the line diligently and works hard for everyone else in the team. That's the kind of striker I see Nicholas Jackson at, at the moment. Um, whilst I'm sure, I believe that will bring its own number of goals, having that absolute undoubted spearhead for your attack, the one that when the whole team is underperforming, he picks up and makes something happen out of nothing. You're looking more at a prime Lukaku, but... Yeah, I like the way you said prime, because I was going to ask you, do you think Lukaku is that? Because I don't think he is. You're looking at a prime Lukaku, and who knows, maybe... What, maybe, maybe um we're going to see something different from a humbled Lukaku because Prime Lukaku, uh, Prime Lukaku has 
has never been seen on English soil. We've seen young and up and coming Lukaku, yeah, yeah. deadly Lukaku at Everton. We've seen young and up up and coming Lukaku at West Brom, but we've never seen prime Lukaku, prime Lukaku that is focused, is confident, and is lean and mean. We've never seen that because his diet always seems to go awry the minute he leaves Italian soil. Mm-hmm. Um, so whilst he's training with the under-23s, who knows if he's even up to the fitness standards Pochettino would suggest. But that's where I see this need for a striker. That's where I see this all the, the comments regarding an attacker um, mm-hmm. pointing towards. So mm-hmm. maybe a humbled Lukaku just says, look, Nobody really loves me like that. Nobody, <laughs> nobody is really feeling me like that right now. I'm looking at the media when I'm and I'm seeing Simon Jordan ruin me on Talksport, and maybe, and I, I don't really have too much of a leg to stand on. Mm-hmm. I went there and destroyed my um, relationship with the Chelsea fans by doing it. Let's not even rehash what he's done. Um, to kind of burn the bridges that he's burnt. But what's left? Because the only people that are kind of clamouring for me at this point in time are the Saudi guys. And Mm. my signing isn't really going to make waves. It will make waves for maybe a week or two and they will sign someone else. Who knows? Because they've just signed Gabri Vega from Celt to Vigo to come to that league. And that signing has more reverberations around world football than signing a 30-year-old Romelu Lukaku who's out of favour everywhere else in Europe. He's so looking at centre as well. M- yeah, so maybe they're, so so maybe we're seeing a Lukaku that says, I just I just need to be useful. I need to add value. If he tells me that I'm not going to be able to play in the position that I want to, I'm going to be used as more of a target man, so be it. I'm going to mm. hustle for the team. I'm not that superstar. I don't have that superstar status that they let me get away with cruising when it comes to the pressing part of the game. Maybe he's got his game face on in regards to, I need to show my value. I really need to um, hit the ground running. I need to do something. And hopefully this uh, propels my momentum and I have a good Euros. And this leads for me to go in somewhere that I really want to be at. So maybe a humble Lukaku is um, a very useful tool. Honestly, I hear you. I hear you, but I don't see it. I have to disagree because I think his prime years. So first of all, like what you said about his prime years, I think they're definitely behind him. I think he left them um, in Italy. He gave them in Italy, and I think he potentially, whilst he wasn't in the best shape, he he was kind of in his prime at United as well. But tactically, it wasn't right for him. But Inter Milan was definitely his best time and I think that's kind of gone now because like you said now he looks nothing like what he looked like when he arrived at Chelsea first time um and also I just I think the prospect of having Nicholas Jackson and Lukaku as strikers is not a bad prospect at all I just don't see Lukaku being as useful as Jackson from the little I've seen of Jackson from preseason and you know the Premier League Jackson helps the team a lot he propels the team a lot I think if Jackson doesn't play we lose quite a bit whereas Lukaku doesn't do much out off of the ball really and truthfully so it's almost like we're kind of making a, a I see it as regressing a little bit by playing Lukaku as the main guy because he's not going to give you what Jackson gives you he's not going to I don't think he stretches teams as well as Jackson, he's probably not. Gonna, he's not going to work hard as well, and he's not going to press either. So, I get he's a proven goal scorer. I get like naturally, in terms of from an instincts perspective, you know, he might have the edge. But the, the chances that Jackson misses has missed this this season. So West Ham and Liverpool. Look, I think Lukaku. I've seen Lukaku miss the chances as well. So I don't think we automatically get a more clinical strike with Lukaku playing. Honestly, I really don't. And I'd honestly play Jackson ahead of him. But if he came into the squad, I'd like maybe like a backup or whatever, or a second option, that's fair enough. But I just wouldn't want to see him be the main guy again, man. Honestly, I wouldn't. I think we've been here before where we've kind of all sold ourselves a story of Lukaku being, the potential of Lukaku being different 
and then we've always come back to the same result. <laughs> the exact same result every time. Yeah, I'm here for it. Like, <clears throat> now nah, hear it. Sell me another yam when it comes to Lukaku being that guy again. I just say if it's it's definitely an upgrade on bringing Mason Mason Burstow on if you're chasing a goal and if his performances warrant more potentially starts, then we can cross that bridge when it comes to it. But <clears throat> just being able to throw on Romelu Lukaku isn't the end of the world for me. And nope, I'm, of course not. I'm I'm def- I'm not one of those Chelsea fans that are so disrespected, so yeah, disgusted yeah, yeah. by his comments. It's a business yeah. transaction. We're using yeah, you. You're using us to have use a okay. the springboard. Exactly. Yeah, let's yeah. use each other. Like mutually beneficial arrangement. Let's let's use each other, Ron. Yeah, sure. So am I clear by the way? I feel like the feedback is, is a bit weird. No, you're good. You're good. I'm good, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Him coming up as a as a as a sub is honestly it's calm. Honestly, that I don't mind. And like you said, me too as well. I'm happy to integrate him back in. I, I don't really mind. Um but just not at the detriment of Jackson. I don't think it's worth it, in my opinion. But um, yeah, that that will be interesting. Um, I if we're gonna ask me for a prediction, I think he will end up back in the first team, simply because nobody rates him. Nobody's gonna buy him. Um, if he doesn't want to go Saudi, then it's either Saudi or London at this point. So that's how I see it playing out. And yeah, uh, I I I'm not overly fast just as long as he's not the main guy so we'll see how that goes um and obviously Poch I don't know if you saw Poch saying he said like um oh Jurgen Klopp said he would never uh, he'll walk away as soon as 100 million pound he signs a 100 million pound player and then he admitted he was wrong so then he was like oh like he Poch can basically do the same thing in terms of Lukaku you know he said that he's not spoken to Lukaku whatever but it doesn't mean that there won't be a U-turn so it's just it's going that way. It's definitely going that way, and it's going to be hilarious to see him come back. But um, just quickly, do you rate Mason Burstow? By the way, I don't know how much you've seen of him. My manager at work is a Charlton fan, and obviously that's where we've signed him from and rated him. And <clears throat> this is someone who, um, from Charlton, he's seen a lot of talent, Chelsea talent as well, come through. Um, Conor Gallagher, Jada Silva, Ian Martson. He's even seen um, Raksaki from Crystal Palace. So he's seen talented youngsters. And um, he says Bursto can is as talented as them, just short of maybe the level of like Conor Gallagher, because Conor Gallagher at what, 18, 19, was running Charlton's midfield in his first season in men's football. But um, yeah. Interesting. If my manager is co-signing, then yeah, I I I I I have to rate. But um, I've seen very very little of him to make an informed um, opinion on my own. Interesting, interesting. That's that's cool. Um, yeah, let's let's move on a little bit. To let's look ahead to to Luton. Yeah. Uh, I think we've kind of really we touched on the lineup a little bit in terms of there will be changes probably in the attack with Carney missing Carney and Madrid both missing the game so somebody's gonna make their first appearance of the season probably but yeah how do you think we should play it I think there's been a there's been quite a bit made of Poch's tactics and his his setup in terms of Chilwell holding width. How how have you seen that? Do you do you want to see that again against Luton? Like I think that would be interesting because, yeah, I'm someone that I I haven't minded it just because I see what he's trying to do. I don't always think it's been great because obviously Chilwell is quite limited in certain aspects, but I don't think it's been a terrible idea to be honest with you. So yeah, what have you thought of it? And do you think you should change it against against Luton? I don't think we should. <clears throat> We've not played badly um, consi- for prolonged periods. Maybe the second half of the West Ham game, but all in all, I would ideally like to see like traditional roles. But with the ever-changing trends in football, I'm going to put my trust in the manager who knows far more than me. Ideally, I would like to see Thiago Silva paired with Levi Colwell. 
it would feel like a waste to have three centre-backs against a team where they struggle to keep hold of the ball, let alone deliver the ball with consistent quality to um, their, their front man. So it'd feel like a waste to have three centre-backs on a pitch when yeah. I feel like Colwell and Thiago Silva would be more than sufficient. And that would yeah. just allow a Malo Gusto to be more offensive in a way that he wasn't able to do against West Ham. Ben Chilwell can just help with overloads either side when they have their deep blocks. So that's what I would like to see. But if that's what if Pochettino says this build up right now is what's what we're doing, then so be it. But um for the most part, obviously it'd be nice to just go more attacking and having two out and out wingers uh supplemented with two attack minded fullbacks, uh creating overlaps and overloads would be be opt would be exciting. Agreed, agreed, and I think it would be a good way to kind of put a marker down, get the season going. I think having two wingers is also going to create more for Jackson as well. I think I touched on the top of the pod that you know he hasn't had that many clear cut chances, and a lot of his work has been kind of away from goal. But I think having two out and out wingers would definitely give him some more chances. So yeah, I, I agree. I want I want to see that. I want to see what we did in preseason with the back four and. And then, yeah, kind of having a second-minded midfield. So, um, I think that would be interesting to see. And, yeah, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on Caicedo starting. I think he, he probably will start. But, um, yeah, how do you feel about the signing? Do you think the West Ham game was just a blip and he'll be fine? Or is there anything else in it for you? No, I think Caicedo wasn't given the opportunity because of injury and the transfer speculation to have a full preseason. Yeah, he's already passed the fitness test, so he's up to yeah. a fitness level, and I think he'll be afforded a lot more time and space, and he won't be in a sense where there's a natural sense of urgency to chase a game against yeah. Luton if he starts from the jump. Yeah. Uh, in regards to Caicedo, I think. We've signed someone who fills a lot of what was lost when we lost N'Golo Kante. A lot of his best work is done off the ball, but underratedly so is his ability to progress the ball from deep and just the potential to dominate a midfield with Enzo being the um a midfield creator, him being kind of like the driving force on um on both sides of the ball with potential for Romeo Lavia to have the time and space to dictate play and progress the progress the player at, at a good level, um, hopefully a high level in the future, um, as the deepest as the deepest midfielder is really, really promising. So um we spent big money on obviously Enzo. I actually forgot we uh, sent Lavia, you know. Yeah. And he won't be he he won't be involved. <laughs> he won't be involved. Yeah. I actually forgot. Like that. But the combination is the combination, because a lot of people said it was Caicedo or Lavia, but there's also potential if I could play in a four-three-three for it to be all yeah, three. All three. So um, yeah. it's optimistic, and then we're playing them in position, and we're, we're playing with we're, we've signed these three guys: Enzo, Caicedo, and uh, Lavia. That all three, if they were to play each other on paper, they complement each other very, very nicely, because mm-hmm. maybe um, Lavia's defensive abilities aren't. At the level, sorry, because I I saw something about it was an athletic article about how Poch, how we managed to sign Kaiser and Lavia, and I think Poch literally outlined this to them, and he basically said that you two will suit each other because your best strengths are on the ball, so in terms of Romeo Lavia, whereas Kaiser's is off the ball, which is and that very much aligns with my thinking. And as you described just now, so it seems like Poch is on that same wavelength, which is a good, which is a good sign. But yeah, carry on, sorry. Yeah, like you said, um, and then he's now got that support of um, Casado, who's off the ball, who supports him defend- on the defensive end, and then you have Enzo freed of the lion's share of defensive ability, but he can still add value on the defensive side of the ball as well as have that license to. Join the attack, get as high, get as far forward as he wants. Um, but obviously, just keep. I hope he keeps in mind the balance that he dictates the midfield, and we need him to dictate 
dictate the midfield. So that might necessarily um, be an issue if he feels like he has too much license to go far forward. Um, and we have a situation that we saw against West Ham in the second half. But all in all, I think all of their attributes complement each other very nicely. So um, I can, you, you, in that regard, you can now see why Lavia um, looked at Chelsea um, as the best place for him to develop. Mm, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I can't. Not much more for me to add to that. Um, well, I think definitely. To ask you, obviously, we've signed um, David Washington, um, and obviously, this will probably spark off a round of Chelsea have spent almost a billion. Chelsea have spent more than the Liga combined. Chelsea, they're spending so much money. Financial fair play, FFP, like call the government, tax these guys. What are they doing? Why do you think? other teams are so in uproar about what Chelsea are doing, like to the point where in The Athletic, um, they released an article about um, why Michael Elise turning down Chelsea is good for the Premier League. But especially when there's been detailed articles from that platform, um, from people who have, from the likes of Simon Jordan, who have said, this is how Chelsea have done it in mm. Detail in, in both detailed explanations and layman's terms, so we can afford to do it. Why are teams still seemingly irked by our spending? Honestly, bro, I'm just tired. And so I think, I think in simple terms, I think a lot of it is jealousy. I think a lot of fans because their team can't do that, because we, do, we don't know many City fans, let's be real. So it's either you saw Arsenal, Liverpool or Manchester United and neither of those teams have the financial muscle that we have. So I actually think it's part jealousy because we can literally have the worst season ever and still go and splash so much money to try and rectify it. Do you know what I'm saying? And on top of that, like we are actually a successful club. So it kind of does work contrary to what people say. Uh, I also think that what was I going to say? There's another point I was going to say. Yeah, I also think it's just, you know, the narrative always wins, in it? So I think there's always going to be that narrative with Chelsea because that's how, you know, Roman came about and they came successful, whatever, and people were just hating and it left a bit of taste in people's mouths or whatever. Even though we've seen teams after the likes of Newcastle, Manchester City come and do the same thing. Newcastle yet to be as successful yet, but we're ready to see. But yeah, there's always that narrative about Chelsea that's just like, oh, like, they're not heritage, there's no history, they just spend, blah, blah, blah. When actually, it's wrong. It's actually wrong. When you look at Romeo Lavia, for example, perfect example, when you look at the how we revealed the Lavia signing and people are saying, oh, why didn't Lavia... I can't believe Lavia chose Liverpool over Chelsea. Well, Lavia is 19, 18. What did he grow up on? He didn't grow up idolising Sammy Hippier and them, man, or... JB Carragher or Pepe Reina, he didn't. He simply didn't. Like he watched the likes of Hazard. He watched Chelsea win the Champions League, win Premier League. You know what I'm saying? So I think it, it just shows that people people are still in the mindset where by Chelsea winning doesn't actually matter to them. And Chelsea winning is kind of irrelevant. And all of our like all of our winning is recent. It's not like we haven't got any history. When it's, it's just false. Do you know what I'm saying? So people always want to keep to the narrative despite what the real facts actually say. And I think that falls into the spending thing. It falls into our history, all of that sort of stuff. Like people people still consider us a small club that are irrelevant. When really and truthfully, we're probably at right now, probably the second biggest club in England. Probably. All things considered, when you think about trophies, financial power, just all that sort of stuff. Just, just having muscle. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're probably up there. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think Bodhi's been smart with the with the eight-year contracts and that in terms of finding the loophole. I don't know how sustainable it's going to be, though. The only time will tell. But for the moment, you know, he found a loophole and he's exploiting it. So, yeah, you don't just have to... Just stay there and be jealous. Like, I can't... There's not much I can really say. Do you know what I'm saying? People are just always going to go with the narrative they want to go with. So, this is what it is. Yeah, great way. I couldn't really um, advocate more or agree more. So um, I think we're done. 
yeah, I think there was one more thing I was gonna say. Um, no, nah, actually, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, we're, 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 we're all done. We're all done. Um, and that's another episode of Chessy Hour. Thank you for listening. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.